Welcome to Backlabel Branding with Sydney Muntianu. On this podcast, I'm interviewing some of the leading women in the food and beverage space, talking to them about how they got started, what they did to build their brands initially, how they are pivoting now in our time of a COVID pandemic, and what they're paying attention to in terms of marketing strategy, tools and tricks they use, and who they're looking to for inspiration. In this episode, I am interviewing Elisa Marshall. She is someone I have long admired and watched as she's grown her business, Maman, a beautiful, highly Instagrammed and sought after cafe and bakery in New York with now additional locations in Canada, where she's from originally. I met Elisa back in 2016 when I hosted a PR event at her Soho Cafe. And that's actually one of the reasons that she designed the space to be suitable for events is she had a background in fashion PR and understood the need to have places like this, especially in New York. So it was really cool to understand more of that from her story and background. But we talk a lot about how the past year of her moving to Canada and staying away from the business actually helped her prepare for a world of working more remotely and pivoting her business and her team. And we also talk a lot about the value of connection and fostering community as a way of growing and establishing a new business, especially one that is a bakery and a space for people to come in and explore. And really just got a lot of lovely insights into her approach to entrepreneurship and her never-ending interests in all things design, creativity, and of course, creating the most amazing cookies you'll ever have. Good. Well, thank you so much for for thinking of, of me and including me in this. Oh my goodness. Of course. I'm so excited to hear about what you're up to. Maybe start with that. Where are you in New York right now? Um, I just moved back to New York two weeks ago from a whirlwind of a summer. We were um, living in Montreal for a year. I moved back there, grew up there and have family there. And we decided we wanted to have the baby in Montreal. So um, we had our little baby boy um, just over a year ago in Montreal. And we were planning on just staying there until he was about six months old and then heading back to the city. So we had everything organized to come to New York in April, which we were so excited for starting life back here again after a a year's break. And um, of course, you know, the the world had other ideas for us. So everything changed and got put on hold and we lost our lease in Montreal. And we were in a position where we kind of had nowhere to go and we weren't planning on coming to New York when it was, you know, at the peak of of craziness. So we ended up kind of packing our bags and heading to France. Um, We put everything we owned in the storage locker. We picked up and went to France, which is where my husband is from and where his family is. And we spent three months over there. So we had a really... You know, nice summers, a lot of time at home with the family. It was in, in a better state than, than New York was at the time, and then it is now. And um, no, we, we, had, we had a really great summer just kind of spending time with family. We were in the South, we went into the Alps, um, and then we just got back to New York two weeks ago, found an apartment. I am in the midst of coordinating moving all of my stuff. So I have a pack and play, I have an air mattress and my laptop and a high chair and that's about it. So did you take a break from the business for a year or just um, sort of alter how you were working while yes, you were pregnant? You know, it was tough. I found at the beginning, um, I actually uh, took time off and wrote a cookbook. It was a really kind of great opportunity. Firstly, you know, to, to of course, you know, be with be with family and, and, and have the baby and, and be physically removed because I felt like it was very hard when you're here in the city and all your restaurants are surrounding you to, to be able to physically remove yourself. Um, so there it really kind of forced us to be away and, and give independence to all of our leaders and managers um, and our, our back office team. And we ended up opening a restaurant in Montreal as well during that time, a month before we had the baby, which was kind of the, the crazy thing to do but when you you know are an entrepreneur and it's in your blood it's I I knew I knew my husband would get bored if it was just being at home with a baby all day for a year and 
dealing with me pregnant. So we needed to give him a project. And um, we, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it was definitely a lot of working remote, but it was a really nice time to kind of reflect, be with family and train ourselves to run a business from afar. Um, because we were so hands-on in the past and it was, you know, it's good training ultimately even now because, you know, a, a one-year-old, I can't be there every day and I can't be, you know, bussing tables and making espressos and, and doing what I used to do. So it was a good kind of uh, pull off the band-aid and, and, and do it and see how it, see how it all works. Wow. Crazy. Is that restaurant still open? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we've been very fortunate throughout all of this. Um, just based on our concept, we were really able to kind of adapt and model our concept to really focus more on our to-go experience as opposed to our dine-in because we do offer both. Um, so it's been an, um, quite a learning experience. I mean, of course, you know, we're not doing great. We are definitely, you know, struggling, but um, it could be worse. You know, we're still around. We're working harder than ever. And um, we've just had to do some creative thinking and, you know, really kind of like alter everything from our restaurants to our menus to, you know, our, our offerings, our, our back office team to, to really be more suitable to today's climate. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I want to dig into that a little bit more as well as your cookbook. But uh, first, perhaps let's just back it up a little bit for those who have not had the opportunity to visit any of your amazing locations or taste your notorious cookies. <laughs> How did you even get started with a career in the food industry? And I'd love to know the arc of how that led you to creating Maman and starting your first business. But what brought you to the food world? A, a few things. You know, I think I was always at a point where um, I had this vision of my dream job. And I was in a position um, in my, you know, early 20s where I was really doing a little bit of everything. I um, always, you know, was a passionate baker. I grew up, my mom, you know, studied in culinary and she was an incredible baker. She was an at-home baker, but it was definitely, you know, part, part of my, part of my blood and, and my, my background. And I ended up finding myself at a point where I was doing a little bit of everything. I studied fashion design in school. I had a nine to five in fashion PR. I was baking, doing a catering company on the side. I loved interior design. Um, I was wedding planning interning with a wedding planner on evenings and weekends. And I was just at a point where I was doing 20% of everything. And I really enjoyed everything. I really loved everything that I was doing. And, you know, when you're at that age, you're in that, what am I going to do with my life? What's my career path? And I tried so many things and I genuinely loved everything. So it was really difficult for me to kind of find my dream job because it didn't exist. So I was fortunate to meet um, Ben, my husband, um, at the time, and um, he was a corporate lawyer. And on our first date, he said, I want to, you know, I have dreams of opening a, a restaurant and I want to leave the law world and get into a restaurant. I said, really? I said, I always dreamed of opening this space that, you know, is, is a bakery, is an event space, has an element of retail, can incorporate basically everything that I love and love to do under one roof. Um, and here we are six years later and when the dream became reality um, and we both kind of, you know, dropped everything and pursued this passion um, really as a side project, not knowing how, how big it would become today. Wow. I didn't know that. So you didn't go to culinary school or have any not at all. necessarily formal training in that department. No. And I hate, you know, when I say I wrote a cookbook, you know, it wasn't me. I, my chefs were involved. My pastry team was involved. Uh, you know, we, it's, it's definitely a collaborative effort. I think um, when we originally started, I was doing a lot of the baking. You know, we, we had a, a chef helping us. Ben is very talented in the kitchen as well. And that's also, you know, to be honest, it's, it really ties into the name my mom because we didn't want to come off that we were, you know, professional chefs and we have no culinary training and, and our moms taught us how to cook. And so that was really part of, 
you know, our, our story and the brand. And we wanted it to feel like you were coming to someone's home at your, you know, mom's, in your mom's living room, having, having a great meal together, um, as opposed to coming in, you know, being something so much bigger than what we really are. Were there any other contenders for the name? Did you have the brand in your head when, you know, when your husband told you about his dream to open a restaurant, were you sort of stewing on this concept and this name, or did you go through a process of coming up with the branding and coming up with the name? Yeah, it's funny, actually. So the, the name that I always had in my head, and I always thought, you know, from an early age, I wanted to open up a, a bakery um, that was like a coffee shop called Sugar Beets. And Sugar Beets was my childhood nickname growing up. Um, long story, but my, my parents always ended up calling me Sugar. And like Sugar Beats was just, uh, it was actually a song from Sesame Street. That was my favorite song and I would sing it all the time. And so my nickname just kind of became that. So it's kind of a fun, um, you know, story for me. And I always wanted to, to play up on that and, and have this space. And so that was originally our name and that's actually our, our incorporated legal name. Um, and then when we were talking about it, we didn't want to go so sweet and we felt that it had a very um, sweet connotation to it. And we definitely also wanted to incorporate a lot more savory items and be more, you know, cafe and lunch driven as opposed to real bakery. And um, we were all talking about cooking. And this at the time was, was our chef, um, Ben and myself, and we were talking about, you know, cooking and stories. And we kept bringing up our moms and we kept referencing our moms. And then we kind of had that light bulb. We're like, wait, what if we call it like, mom's house or mom's and and then um the chef at the time and and ben are both french and they're like what about mama and then it was just that moment of yeah we're doing this and we're doing it in tribute to our moms i had no idea that it had an alternate name when you started so yeah i don't think many people did i don't i haven't said much of this in interviews before so it's so cute. And I love it that it was your nickname. So it never really, Sugar Beets never really got formally used or were there? Well, it still is. If time? you look at any of our mail, everything is Sugar Beets Inc. So our back office is all Sugar Beets Inc. So it's still, <laughs> it still sits in a place in my heart. <laughs> Too cute. I, I'd love to know a little bit more about the beginning and opening up the first cafe and certainly, when then did you know it was time to open up a second location, and then third and fourth? I just think like for New York-based businesses, especially, it's a whole nother animal. But how did that opportunity come about? Certainly the jump from the first to the second or even beyond. So I think in opening the first location, um, you know, Ben and I both had other jobs. I was wedding planning with a hospitality group. He was managing a restaurant with a hospitality group at the time. And um, this was really just a side passion project. Um, we, you know, were able to find a great space on Center Street. And um, it, it just kind of, you know, all the pieces fell into place at the right time. And we, uh, we decided to kind of, you know, go for it, not envisioning what it would become. And our first, you know, week there, it was really more like my baby and my project, I would say, um, cause Ben was very busy, you know, working, working on other projects as well at the time. And I was kind of doing this off season because the wedding planning season was really kind of more. May to, to October, September, and then more in the winter, this was kind of going to be a little side project that I thought I could jump back and forth from. So when we first opened, um, you know, I was, I was the barista and working the counter, Ben was working the cash. And then at nighttime, I would do all of the baking for the following day. And Ben would, um, you know, do a lot of the savory alongside our chef. Um, so it was really a very family oriented like business ultimately. Um, and, you know, in New York City, there's a lot of opportunities I think that present themselves that don't happen in very many other places. So we're very fortunate that, that we were here and we had the opportunities that we did to really help our business grow. And I think, you know, one of the main things um, is within the first 
say within the first week that we opened, one of the editors of Vanity Fair lived across the street from us and came in and said, oh, I love this place and became a regular customer and was talking with us and I love you guys. And um, this is a, uh, you know, we, we need to do a story on you. And we told them, you know, our, our backstory and, you know, next thing you know, we have a photographer in there. We're doing a photo shoot and Vanity Fair is doing like a two page spread on this little cafe that just opened up <laughs> on center street and just happened also organically. And these are things, you know, we're, like I said, if we were in, you know, a, a small town and elsewhere, you know, you don't have these, these kind of opportunities. So that was very fortunate. That really helped to put us on the map. Um, then we also had, um, uh, a writer from, uh, from, I believe, I don't, so I should know this. I believe it must've been Eater at the time or Thrillist. And, um, they said, watch your back, LaVin. Mama has the best cookies in New York city. And the funny thing was we had no idea that this even happened and no idea that anybody wrote this. And I remember we were supposed to go to a friend's wedding that weekend. And, um, that this must have been on the Thursday that the article came out and Ben and I were both working behind the counter and we had lineup after lineup of people coming in ordering cookies and we're like what's going on like how does everyone know about these cookies and someone comes in and orders a dozen someone else comes in and orders you know another dozen and at one point someone came in and we were obviously sold out and they were so upset. And this customer actually started getting mad at me. He said, I just drove 40 minutes into the city to get one of these cookies. What do you mean you're sold out? And I'm like, how do you even know about us? And he's like, oh, he goes, there was just a huge article saying you have the best cookie in New York City. And we both just kind of looked at each other like, oh, wow, we're not going anywhere this weekend because we were planning on going to the wedding and closing. <laughs> and he said, we are sticking around and we are making cookies all night. So we basically had, you know, a, a good month of lineups around the corner, out the door, down the street of people waiting for these cookies. Um, and that, I think, really kind of started to kickstart things for us um, and, you know, put us on on the map in, in New York City as a, as a legit, you know, not a little mom and pop uh, coffee shop anymore. Um, all because so, of the cookies. <laughs> all because of the cookies. Yeah. So we, we owe it to those cookies. Yeah. Incredible. I was going to ask, because you mentioned you had a nine to five in fashion PR. Did you bring any of those contacts or any of your learnings from your other passions into it in the beginning when you were trying to spread oh, the most, word about most definitely. And I have to say a, a lot of them were my, my best customers and, um, like, for example, like I, I was working with uh, Paige Denham um, for about six years and they were amazing at the beginning. And I, of course, stayed in touch with everyone and they, and they still continue to be such good customers of ours. And every press preview that they have, they order catering from us. Every show that they have, we do packaged cookies for them. So I was fortunate to work with a lot of different brands um, and, and really kind of incorporate because at the end of the day, all these fashion brands need food as well for their photo shoots for so many reasons. So it was there, there, they still are and were great customers. Very cool. So was that a part of the concept from the beginning? Obviously, first and foremost, people look to you as a food business and a cafe. Um, I know that that's how we met is there, it was through an event that was hosted at one of your locations and it was a press and a VIP event for Summer Water Rosé. I know that you have, you have a background in event planning, that you love to host events in the space, that you do catering. It's a mix of different avenues for the business. Was that part of it from the start or how did you grow into that? And then also walk me through perhaps pre-COVID and now, how does your business look in terms of, um, is most of it from the cafe or do you also do a lot of these partnerships and events? Mm -hmm. So, so previously from day one events was a huge driver for the business. And I think, you know, why we chose New York and, you know, even from our layout and how we keep our to-go counter um, so far away from our, our dining room, for example, is, is really very much event driven. Um, 
that was something that I just really felt was, was lacking in New York. And I think because, you know, New York City is this place where, you know, we don't have homes that have dining room tables that can entertain 12 girlfriends for a bridal shower. Um, there was really a lack of that affordable event space I found that didn't feel like a restaurant that felt like you were in, you know, your, your home or in your mom's home enjoying, you know, a shower with your friends and family. And I, I went from wedding planning, doing very large elaborate events, really kind of missing that void of wanting to do something a little bit smaller and intimate. So, um, definitely the event business was, was something that was really important to us at the beginning and, and brand events, we're not really, they kind of very much came organically for us and became a really big part of our business. It really started off as more private personal events, everything from engagement parties, baby showers, bridal showers, and birthday parties, because in the evening we close, it's a great opportunity, um, you know, in a beautiful space to be hosting, you know, 20 people for, for dinner. Whereas if you were to go to a restaurant, Typically, they would be open for dinner. They would have to close the space down. So I think I really just found, felt that there was a niche in, in that market here. Um, and, you know, now, now looking at it, obviously, you know, things have changed very, very much. Um, there's still, we still have the business from the personal side of things because I think, you know, people still want to celebrate birthdays. People still, you know, have, have many events to celebrate. It's just done differently. It's done you know, safer, much, much less people and um, outdoors. We have a private garden in our Soho space um, that can seat like 15 people. So that's been a nice opportunity to kind of, you know, still feel private, still be safe, still be outdoors and host events. But, you know, the branding side of things has completely dropped off, to be honest. Like we, you know, we don't have too many brands coming to us for, for, utilizing our space for events. Um, but definitely there's a lot of creativity that I'm seeing to host these influencer events because this was, you know, to be honest, our, our bread and butter and, and we were, you know, hosting numerous events similar to the one that we did um, at all times for brands from fashion to wine to other F&B businesses to, you know, uh, high chair a launch. So it was, it was a broad spectrum of, um, of corporate events that we were hosting. And, and I find, um, you know, there, a lot of them are just getting more creative now with these, you know, influencer style events and not necessarily bringing people together around a table for, for breakfast. Yeah. It, I can imagine it's very different as, um, um, is there anybody you're watching, uh, either a brand or maybe another business for examples of some things that they're doing or just that you're kind of interested in how, they're, how they've changed and how they're working? Yeah, of course. Um, well, one of my, my favorite ones, and I thought it was, it was a fabulous, fabulous idea, um, we just uh, yesterday actually did um, like some editor drop-off of baskets with Cartier, and they contacted us for... Uh, like breakfast assortment. So like individually wrapped like croissants and pastries and so forth. And they put together the most beautiful provincial style basket. So it was a gorgeous picnic basket with lavender um, included like our, the beautiful like 12 print plates, um, vintage cutlery, monogrammed napkins, and the most beautiful breakfast spread that you could imagine that were basically desk drops delivered to all of the different um, various, you know, influencers and editors. So I think that the, you know, the, the investment that these brands would have put forth in hosting these, you know, beautiful gatherings, they're just now turning it more intimate and kind of bringing that same experience to them, which is really nice and, and bringing in a lot of creativity. But I, and I think that there's definitely so much opportunity there to do more at home services and still stay relevant. And they're all still Instagramming. They're all still taking pictures of it. You're still getting that same, same effect as you would as having an event. Sounds beautiful. I want one of these baskets. <laughs> I know. Me too. I was jealous. <laughs> okay. That sort of leads me to another question and a theme that I've been hearing for you entrepreneurial businesses, growing businesses, 
is doing things a little messier. And what I mean by that is because of the way the past few months have been, it's less of a pressure of doing things quote unquote perfectly. Um, you know, whether it be, oh, we gotta put a website up or add shopping or redo our website or start doing Instagram stories. And I just am seeing a lot more of that shift towards creativity in the digital realm. Now we're starting to see it a little bit more in in-person operations that have been modified or altered, or as you said, even as you said, the drop-off baskets and just getting creative. Is there anything you've done with Maman differently or that's new in terms of marketing, communications, and just chatting with your customers? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think we can, you know, all thank Instagram for, you know, connecting us with so many of, of these brands and giving us that brand experience without, you know, physically being there. And I feel like that's something I have to admit stories was something I never really got into. I handle um, our social media and I, I don't know, maybe I just, I just never had the time for it to be quite honest. And now I'm like trying to carve it out and, and really make time for that because it's such a, of course, um, way to kind of keep our, our consumer involved. And I think you know, the past two weeks, I, I've, I've had a lot of fun with it because we actually just did our cookbook photo shoot. Um, and, you know, I've, I started doing a bunch of behind the scenes videos and, and posting that daily, kind of showcasing, you know, little teasers of what's to come in the book and, and what we're doing. And I feel like that's a nice way to kind of really connect people to the brand as opposed to your typical, you know, what you see and, and very kind of cookie cutter image that that Instagram can can present and show you what they want to see it's kind of here's more of the behind the scenes nitty-gritty of what actually goes on and this is you know the behind the scenes in our kitchen so um, I like kind of bringing to life more of those um, those elements ultimately and I've had so much great like so many great reactions on Instagram to to that and those those stories as well, which has been fun. Um, and then from a you know for, from a general like marketing and even product point of view, we've really had to go back and relook at a lot of our our offerings and and you know reposition what we do. And I think right now you know the reality of is of it is people don't want to go out to restaurants. People want restaurants to come to them. So how are we gonna get the mama experience to them, as you mentioned, like, you know, curating these beautiful baskets that incorporate, you know, all the different elements of the South of France to be delivered directly to them or, you know, showing them more content of, of actual behind the scenes or um, like for us, an example is we've shifted from just selling our cookies to selling our cookie dough as well. So we, um, we, we, came up with that idea in panic when, you know, we were told we had to close down March 16th and had, you know, about two weeks worth of eight stores worth of cookie dough that we had to get rid of that was going to go bad. So we started selling it and delivering it all across New York and we had such a strong reaction to it. And I think really kind of recreating that brand at home experience is going to be something that we, we really have to embrace more and will continue to do so. Um, even when it comes to events, giving that mama experience of an event through our catering program instead. No kidding. Oh, I love the cookie dough idea. Maybe there's even a mama cookie dough product there <laughs> in the actually, future. Actually, oh? on that note, um, we have a, a mama cookie candle. So you can even get it smell like our cookies at your house. Um, we teamed up with Apotheke, which is a great Brooklyn candle company and came out with our uh, vanilla oatmeal raisin candle, um, which gives you that fresh out of the oven kind of scent without having to, to do anything. Yum. I need this. <laughs> That's really cool. Have you done any other collaborations? Certainly you've had brands that you've done events for, but as far as your own creations with a brand like that or is the candle the first one? Oh, for sure. No, we've done many. Um, we, we have a lot of fun and I think, you know, from a branding perspective and, and because of my, my background as well, I, I always consciously built a brand that was not so F and B driven. Um, we had Marche Mama, which was um, a marketplace in our, our Soho location um, that I, you know, I, I, 
had subleased by someone else when I became um, pregnant because it was kind of my little side baby project I was running, but it became too much where um, we kind of collaborated with many different brands and opened up a little marketplace. Um, and we have worked with a variety of brands. We've worked with Ariana Ost, who um, did a, a mama branded necklace for us. We've done um, like other F&B brands like Chobani. We did a collaboration cookie with them using their oat milk to create a ganache. Um, we've done stuff with Disney's Frozen creating products. Uh, we created a, a hot chocolate with them um, for the launch of their Frozen on Ice. Um, Ooh, we've done many, many different brand collaborations, which have been really fun um, and a great way, you know, to kind of open up to a new audience as well. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in collaborations. And I think the unique ability that anyone in the food and beverage space has is it's a form of art you can whether it's a flavor or something you create, even as you said, for fashion photo shoots, they need to be fed. Everyone needs it. So there's so much opportunity there, which I, what I really love about the food and beverage industry is it can absolutely cross over to all kinds of lifestyle concepts, brands, and industries. Of course, yeah. And it keeps it fun on, for, on our end from a marketing perspective. And, you know, you can always reinvent yourselves. You can always do fun things with it. So. So oh, cool. I didn't know you did something with Frozen. How fun. I Disney know. Disney's big. <laughs> Dis I know. That was a fun email to get when, when, when we saw that one. That was very exciting. My four-year-old nieces were over the moon when I told them about that one. <laughs> if you were to say who your typical customer is, how do you have a persona or sort of a definition of that person? Um, and then two, where do you communicate the most with them? And that, I mean, where does Maman focus more of their marketing efforts? Do you see social as super important? Do you have an email marketing strategy, a blog, or obviously like PR and partnerships is one, but I'm kind of curious on who that persona is for your brand and then where are you found to be the best place to connect? I, we definitely have a good vision of, of who that girl, I should say girl, cause it's very um, heavily fe female. So of course our, our consumer um, fluctuates depending on the various locations that we have. It's, it's Definitely our, our mama customer that, that we, you know, really lend all of our, our marketing efforts to. And it's, it's that one particular girl. And um, it's funny in our office, we kind of, you know, have, have her all mapped out who she is and what she likes. And, and, and our, our little uh, mademoiselle, we call her. And um, in terms of how we market to her, I definitely, you know, like any F&B brand now can attribute that Instagram is such a strong channel of communication. Um, and I think that that's definitely, you know, I would say hands down is the strongest for us in terms of communicating with our customer and communicating with the customer that cares as well. Um, the one that does want to hear from us, but for me, it really so much goes back into the in-store experience. And, you know, I, even myself on Instagram, and, and any form of digital marketing, it's just so oversaturated and you get so overwhelmed and, you know, you can scroll through Instagram and in a matter of 10 seconds have 10 different brands throwing different products at you that of course are all targeted and things that you like, but I don't feel it will really speak to you as much as, you know, uh, the physical experience. And so when it comes to marketing efforts, I think where we put focus and, and I think it, it, I, I know it differs from a lot of other brands and I think can, you know, help to attribute to our success is that one-on-one -on -one experience. And when you go into the store, you know, it's that multi-sensory experience that is something that can never be captured online. And, you know, the interaction and smell that is there, the sound of the music playing, the, you know, the tastes of the food, that to me is what, is going to keep us going, you know, as opposed to all of our online efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And I think, yeah, it's interesting that you, right off the bat, you mentioned Instagram, of course, the elephant in the room that can't be avoided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you, I, I think small, so I think a lot of business owners and those who are in the space of beyond the initial startup and sort of kind of growing space often find themselves looking at different tools or up-leveling and uh, polishing up their businesses. Is Are there things that you use, call it even for your website or an email hosting platform or how you do create content for your social media that you found helpful? I think, yeah, definitely like all of the obvious. I, th- I think when it comes to Instagram, as I mentioned before, talking about the stories and how that's something that um, I just really never had time to do and I decided to put more effort into. I was playing around and I found an app called Unfold um, that has been kind of like a game changer for me and it's been so helpful because I feel like the stress in Instagram stories was that everything was live and I needed to find that time to sit down to like plan out in my head exactly what I was doing and then upload everything making sure you're doing it consistently but this is a great um, application where you can kind of like build the frame of your stories you can play around with it if you don't like this picture you can zoom in you can add text and I felt like there wasn't as much pressure that it was like live and you were in a rush to post the next one so I've even pre-planned stories I have you know ones for of of uh you know, a behind the scenes in the kitchen, this is how we make brownies or look back at some of our favorite events. And when I have the time, I'll, I'll build these stories. I save them and then can go ahead and post them. So that's one tool that I think really um, was helpful for me in terms of, you know, navigating the social marketing world when you're not a social media expert. <laughs> this has been a trend even before Instagram started doing videos, but the desire for consumers to have a connection with the founders of the brand, especially female-run businesses, I think it's just been something that people really appreciate and they like, and it makes them feel like they have a connection with it. So video is obviously a great way to show that. It's the only way, other than meeting someone in person, it's really the next best thing to getting a getting to know someone in a sense. One of the things I definitely want to make sure we talk about is the cookbook. And how did you, how did that come about? Why did you decide to write a cookbook? And it sounds like you're getting close to launching it, if I have it correct. Well, I know you, I would hope and you would think, but it's actually still a year's away. This process is, it's a very, very long process. I've already been working on it for a year. So anyone out there who wants to, to write a cookbook, um, make sure you have a lot of time under your belt because um, it's a very time consuming project in addition to being a lengthy project. So um, yeah, we, this was always a dream of mine. I think it was kind of a natural um, you know, next step in terms of where we are as a brand, all the great recipes, all the press we've gotten for a lot of our recipes. And the fact that a lot of our recipes are home family recipes that we just wanted to share. So I think, um, you know, the process really started out in coming up with the idea. I really had a very distinct vision from, you know, cookbooks that I grew up with from all of my mom's cookbooks which were actually just like binders with scraps of paper with notes written all over them and and things scratched out and just that way that um our families cook and i think it's very relatable like our moms our grandmas our fathers in some cases cook and just don't take it so seriously and i felt like all the cookbooks out there now are you know very um here's your recipe don't make modifications this is what it is. And, and when I cook, I now, I, I do use a lot of cookbooks, but um, I always want to make it my own and I might make a cake and it has too much sugar. So I want to play around with the ingredients. Um, and I never want to mess up any of my cookbooks because so many of them are beautiful coffee table books. And if I'm doing a recipe from online, which to be honest, most of the times it's a recipe I found on Pinterest that I'm testing out. There's no way to track it, to remember your edits, to remember what you did to it. So I really wanted to kind of create a cookbook that was a little bit more like how our, our families used to cook and, and 
how my mom specifically cooked and would rip a recipe out of a magazine long before there was the internet and, you know, make scratches saying, you know, Elisa had this for her 10th birthday. She loved it. Too sweet. Less sugar next time. You know, add, uh, add some more pepper here. Um, so that was really kind of the, the premise behind it. And we had this concept and, and packaged it all up and, and went out and shopped it to a whole bunch of publishers. I was fortunate to come across the most wonderful agent who, um, who really helped us with the process and navigating. And I, I highly suggest um, hiring an agent for anyone who is, who is in this mindset to start a cookbook, especially her. <laughs> and i um, happy to share her contact. And um, we were fortunate to land upon Clarkson Potter, who was one of the the biggest um, who, who loved the concept and we ended up signing with them. And uh, yeah, a hundred recipes later and two weeks of photo shoots. I, I have one more day left for photo shoots and then hopefully we'll be wrapping it up very soon and it'll be off to print and production and it's coming out fall of next year. So one year from now. Crazy. That's awesome. I cannot wait. And yeah. are you shooting everything in the cafe? I can't imagine what the kitchen looks like. <laughs> Combination. Um, it's been, it's been really fun. So we, we did it in a variety of different locations. Um, we did a lot of it in our Greenpoint space just because we had a private event space upstairs um, that obviously now was closed down. So we worked with a great photographer and food stylists and, um, and we, we had a lot of fun. I actually missed it. Today was my first non- photo shoot day. A hundred recipes in two weeks is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. And so now we just have some, we want to do some lifestyle shots of us at home in the kitchen. But um, as mentioned, I want to make my home look a little bit more presentable before. <laughs> and I want some things in my kitchen before we come in and start photographing it. Yeah. You got to shop and decorate for first. I know, your right? Old, your interior decorating background. Now right? I have an handy. excuse. It was funny though, because we did actually need to get quite a few props because a lot of the, the props that I envisioned, I did all the, the prop styling for the book and a lot of the props I envisioned using and, and beautiful things. Um, I, I stole back from the restaurants because beautiful things don't last in restaurants very long. <laughs> I, I learned the hard way and cried after many broken dishes and family heirlooms. And uh, a lot of them I took with me to Montreal and unfortunately I didn't have. So we had a lot of fun about two weeks ago doing some antiquing and, and going to flea markets, looking for everything from like vintage pie lifters to uh, champagne coupes and uh, just fun prop shopping. Good excuses to shop. Oh, so fun. Oh, yeah. I love props. <laughs> I know. I have way too many now. What is inspiring you right now? What does your Instagram feed look like in terms of who you're watching or brands you're paying attention to that you think are doing interesting things? Where, do you, where are you finding a little bit of inspiration? I'm really finding, I know this might sound cheesy, but I, I'm really loving... Um, and I'm a new mom too, so that may play into it, but I, I'm finding a lot of inspiration at home and, and being with my son and realizing, you know, how important being at home and being with family is and, and even just, you know, physically seeing people. I think it's, it's the lack of all of that, that we're experiencing that I think is inspiring me the most. And I think that's inspiring, you know, the way that we're doing business, the way that we're, um, you know, marketing our products. And, and I really want to kind of create more of a at home experience for people because I don't think things are going to be getting, you know, incredibly better anytime very quickly, unfortunately. And, you know, it's not like this is going to go away and the world's going to stop. Um, so I think we all kind of need to find more inspiration at home. Yeah. A lot of silver linings have come about and um, a lot of challenges, of course, and everyone keeps wondering when is this going to end or when we can go back. But I, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure that'll ever quite be the same, but one huge silver lining for many of us is just this chance to sort of have slowed down for a second or reevaluate and reprioritize versus going and traveling and moving and escaping all the time. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. And spending time at home with your loved ones and meals with your loved ones around the table. And, and, you know, we're not going out to restaurants all the time now. So, you know, and that, and it's tough for any F and B business. So it's like, what do you, you know, how do you react to that? And you know, you're not the only one who feels that way. So how do we, you know, how do we help bring that experience and, and bring that void to, to others? Yeah, with chocolate chip cookie dough. <laughs> right? There you go. <laughs> exactly. What is your best selling item if and has it changed in the past couple months? Our nutty chocolate chip cookie, hands down. And yes, it has changed. It's just increased. I feel like people are indulging more. Maybe they have more time to work out and look after themselves. Um, and definitely shipping. So we're shipping nationwide now. Um, we that cookie. It always started off from, from before, as mentioned, as one of our top sellers. And um, Oprah in 2017 put it on her uh, favorite things list. And so since then, we've been doing quite a huge business selling our cookies nationwide and shipping them. And um, we've been seeing a lot more of that because people are just, you know, ultimately ordering online not wanting to, to go out to the restaurants, but bring the restaurants to them. So did Oprah come into the cafe to try it out or was that a, conne a connection? No, I, I, getting wish, it to her? <laughs> I, I, I wish I could tell you that story. She just randomly walked in one day and now we're BFFs and make cookies together, <laughs> but that didn't happen. Um, no, it was actually a, a press preview of another brand where the um, editor of O Magazine came in and she tried the cookies and just, you know, fell in love with them and uh, said, these need to be on the O list and one of Oprah's favorite things. And she said, can you send a box to um, the office in Chicago? I want my team to try this. And I said, yes, I will hand deliver you a box in Chicago. <laughs> so the following week we sent a box of cookies and it's, it's quite a process to get associated with, with this list and to be on this list. And I think we must have I think we actually, we sent cookies eight times. We sent eight different rounds um, of cookies to, to the team. I don't know if it was one person who just really loved them and had a lot of cravings or if it actually was a big hierarchy of people who had to taste these cookies before the final cut. And Oprah must have bit into the cookies at one point and gave her stamp of approval. Crazy, I didn't know it, it was such a process, eight times. Neither did I, I know. <laughs> Cool. Well, other than your very exciting cookbook coming out next fall, is there anything else you're looking forward to excited about through perhaps the holidays or even the start of next year? Yeah, I'm just excited to do events again. I really miss gatherings. I miss those personal moments. It was just so heartbreaking because, you know, we had so many events planned throughout the spring that, you know, we had to cancel. And I know the joy that that goes into, you know, hosting and, and preparing and, and being honored at, you know, a bridal shower or a baby shower or a wedding. And, you know, it just hurt my heart that all of these events were just canceled for so many people because these are life's amazing celebrations that, you know, you look forward to all of your life. Um, and that's the one thing is just kind of bringing people together and celebrating that I am most excited about. And I hope we'll be able to do that on a small scale again, going into the holidays and that we'll just be ramping up from there. No kidding. Yeah. I think we all really miss gatherings and events, but they are slowly coming back in a different way. And exactly. They will eventually. Where can people find you? Where can people find out about Mama and get the cookies or anything else? Well, for sure, um, uh, we have locations in Soho, Tribeca, we're on Nomad, um, in Greenpoint, and on Hudson Street in Tribeca is, is our other second Tribeca location. Um, in addition to that, we have a location in Toronto in First Canadian Place and in Montreal in Griffintown. Um, otherwise, Mama online, order cookies to your doorstep. Um, and soon Cookie Dough is going to be shipping as well outside of New York. And that is at um, mamanyc.com. And then of course, follow us on Instagram at uh, mamanyc as well. And myself is by Elisa. Cool. I can't wait for that cookie dough. I will definitely be ordering some. 
Wow, talking to Elisa is like such a calming dose of entrepreneurship in an interesting way. She clearly has a lot going on and has always had multiple interests and been involved in many projects, but you can just hear it in her tone of voice of how um, she is thoughtful about it and she kind of goes with the ride and the roller coaster without, for whatever reason, being able to be calm and stay calm and not get crazy overwhelmed with it and just kind of loving the process of creativity. I loved the Oprah story. I've tried those cookies before, but I did not know the background on that. And what a interesting example of the power of PR, the power of earned media and just general reviews. And I think that's important for any business obviously it's very unique in being in New York and being exposed and connected with that industry a little bit more but there are absolutely ways to do that from a local or regional level there's good PR that can come from local newspapers or blogs that are just as powerful her Grub Street article was hyper local to New York and the community there who came out and, and went to go check out the place. But at the end of the day, I really love what she said is, you know, you can focus on social media. Instagram is important. You can focus on PR. You can focus on digital marketing efforts. But for her business and what she believes in at the end of the day is the experience that you provide with that being certainly the food and the product, but the overall sensory experience and the atmosphere because it can look really beautiful on your phone or your computer, but it's really all about how you feel and what happens when you actually take the time to go and visit. And that's what creates sustained long-term customers and evangelists for your brand. And then another message that does get reinforced here that has been a theme in terms of hospitality or physical spaces and products in general is this combination of aesthetics and style and life with the actual product, which is very clear with her background in design and creative direction uh, and fashion. But it's something that um, she underscores slightly in the interview. But, you know, you take a look at everything that they've created and the fact that she's fully designing the photo shoots for her cookbooks and has been the total creative brains behind the atmosphere that you get when you go into Maman or even receive one of their cookies in the mail and how important the, the aesthetic experience combined with the sensory, the visual, and obviously the way things taste and how that really all goes together and how important it is. So I really hope you love listening to Elisa. If you're ever in New York, do check out their cafes and their shops. They're just wonderful little places to hang out in or the new one in Toronto as well. But in the meantime, I'll be ordering some of that cookie dough and I hope you check them out too. one more thing before we go if you love this podcast if you think there's someone else in your life that might enjoy listening to this podcast please share and make sure you're subscribed on apple podcasts on spotify wherever you love to listen to podcasts and feel free to drop a rating a five-star rating goes a long way especially for new podcasts and really helps me reach other audiences and share these beautiful and inspiring stories of female founders. So make sure you're subscribed and stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday.